everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Positively different radio. In the morning, you are with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson, how are you this morning? I'm great. That's good. I'm... Yep, I'm here. You are... I'm awake. Always positive when you are here and awake. Yeah, 100%. I could be not awake and not here. You could be here and not awake. Oh, yeah. That would be terrible. That would imagine I'm just like sleeping. You could be on the awake floor. and not here. Oh, that would okay. That would be really bad. That would be stressful. Uh, either of those situations, I'd lose my job. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm if I'm here and not awake, or if I'm not awake, not awake. No, if I'm here and not awake, and if I'm not here and awake, I lose my job. Yes. Yeah. You know, if I didn't have yes. some kind of excuse or yes, replacement right. or uh-huh. or something. Uh, yeah. So That's lo- how life works. Uh, yeah. You know. I'm, I'm we, sure other people have jobs. We have, we have shared we have shared <laughs> valuable information with our listening audience this so morning. Good. What are you grateful for this morning, Lyle? I am grateful for solid mass flywheels. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'm sure that, the audience can relate. <laughs> I thought that my four-wheel drive had a dual mass flywheel, and I found it had a solid mass flywheel. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, and that changes a lot. It saves. An enormous amount of money. Okay, that's something to be grateful about. Because if it had a dual mass flywheel, then well, that's um, like three grand to replace it, mm. uh, or 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 like you know five hundred bucks to buy a solid mass one to convert it. Wow! But it's already got a solid mass one, so I don't have to convert it. Don't have to replace it. Life Easy. is good. Oh, dude! I've been what... working on my car. If, if you haven't figured <laughs> that out, dude, I tell you what, I'm grateful for real quick. So I have a puppy. Its name is Ned. And I have to sneak around my house to not wake it up in the morning and at night. And it's the funny, it's the most entertaining thing ever. It's great. I get Puppies to, are the best. I know. And I get to sneak around and then it will wake up and bark. And that's kind of annoying. But I love puppies. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, let's uh, continue on with some positively different news. Lyle, it's happening. It is? It's happening. What is happening? The, the greatest thing ever. Yes. The thing I've been waiting for. Let's hear about in it. my hearts and my hopes and dreams. Okay, the this no the best part about this is this is happening in Australia. The Victorian government has committed fourteen million dollars to a battery facility. I'm like, okay, fair enough. To develop battery technology, mm-hmm. this is specifically targeted at vehicles as well. But nine of that fourteen million dollars is going to a re, like this hydrogen research facility where they're going to research how to build and better and produce hydrogen vehicles. Okay, it, this is so, so long overdue. I know. This is, this, is, this is technology that has been experimented with for about how many years now? Uh, I think, 30, 40 years at mm, least? And we, we saw the first ever hydrogen production vehicles like in the late t- 2000s. Yeah. And, and you know, this is, the, this, is, this is the kind of technology where you should be able to just... Fill your car up from the garden hose. Mm. You know this. Why has it not been happening? And and the, but it is happening, Lyle. It's happening. And the pre- I tell you, I tell you the biggest. Pro- I tell, tell you the biggest problem with uh, this kind of technology is mm. that every time somebody produces some really good hydrogen technology, it gets bought up by the oil companies. Mm. This is true. They get rich and retire, and the oil companies bury it so that they can continue. Polluting the planet. But th- so, go but, Victoria. But we're, we're heading like, you know, 2050. Like, we're getting closer and closer. It's only 30 years away and we're part of the agreement. Like, we're trying to get rid of fossil fuels. So, 
I, I think it's going to start happening. See, this is a much better idea than building lithium batteries. Mm. Because lithium batteries ultimately, well, this lithium is not a renewable resource. We're going to run out of lithium sooner or later. Mm. And it's pretty toxic stuff as far yes. as when you put it into landfill and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think water batteries are much better. You know, pumped hydro is a water battery. Yes. That's um, a much better idea. Run that off of solar power. But, you know, even then you've got to get rid of those solar panels at some particular point. But the whole idea of running vehicles off of hydrogen and filling your car up from the, from the garden hose, mm. that's very appealing. 100%. And at the moment, like, there's 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 only three production vehicles at, uh, that are, have been released that run on hydrogen uh, up until this point that are currently on the market. Uh, specifically, I believe it's from Toyota, Honda, and high end i yeah and and they only exist in california because the shell uh fuel stations only the shell fuel stations in california sell hydrogen like you know this is so so limited but it's like finally this is happening and the thing i love about this is in australia like i feel like we have been ruining the loss of manufacturing here in australia like you know when did the holden plant shut down the last one in the early 20s yeah not uh, a few years back. Yeah, a few years back, and it's like w- once we lost, like, like we've lost all our production, we've, and it's like it's sad. It's so sad. But now we're seeing this technology uh, being researched here, and hopefully this turns into something. Hopefully we imagine having an Australian car manufacturer. And see, this is the thing. This is the thing. Makes hydrogen cars. This is the thing that does my head in. And you know, human beings are smart creatures. Sometimes. Why is it that we have to have hydrogen plants that are owned by oil companies mm. to be able to run your hydrogen-powered car? Mm. Why isn't that you can't just have a converter sitting in the back seat somewhere that converts water, H2O, into hydrogen and oxygen and it runs on that? Well, this is... I, I, I mean, hydrogen is like one of the most common things in the whole... And this is the point. Universe. Like, the, I, I, I am absolutely flabbergasted again that we haven't gone into this like technology because it's hydrogen is the single most abundant naturally occurring like element. Yes. In the universe. Yes. Like it is everywhere. Yes. It is number one on the periodic scale. Like you know, table. Yes. Like it's it's amazing. The, the but the pro- reason that they won't let you have a hydrogen converter in your car is because then they won't be able to sell it. To you. Uh, oh, ooh. that's why. Mm. Human beings are intelligent. I'm. I have absolute confidence that with the most the most abundant element that there is. We can find we, a way. We don't have to have a way of buying it off of Shell. Mm. Or, you know, any other fuel company or oil company or whatever it may be, for sure. Uh, but this is, like, the interesting thing is, like, uh, in the past, the reason that hydrogen didn't take off, or well, the claimed reason, is that the catalyst um, in, you know, within the fuel cells themselves need to require, like, platinum and all these really rare metals to be able to build them. But this is where I'm like, well, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to put $9 million into a facility where we can do research and find out and create a solution to that problem. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what humans do. I mean, we've we've created so much hydrogen in the past. We used to fly airships around with hydrogen. Yeah, hundred percent. And this oh, kind of used to be a little bit unstable, but <laughs> a, bit, a bit scary. Uh, but oh, this is so cool. Like I, I think as well. Like just this, the prospect of all the cars running around on the road are electric motors that run on hydrogen, and the only emission. Is water. Yes. Like literally water vapor into the air. Like, and so I am, I'm proud of Australia. I'm proud in, in one small sense in the Victorian government that they've, 
They've used. Yes, their, I would. I, I am surprised that I'm using Pride and Victorian government. I know in the same sentence and in that context. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Like the research and development of one of the, I, I think one of the most important like developments I probably in human history. I would say like. In- Hopefully they can produce engines and technology for cars that is actually affordable as well because I love the electronic, sorry, the electrical uh, technology that there is available for cars, but it's not it's not financially viable because your return on investment just doesn't exist and it needs to be made financially viable so that there is a return on investment. It's It gives yes. you a warm, fuzzy feeling when you drive around an electric car. It gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling when you sort of like spend $3 to fill the tank, mm. uh, but long-term, because of the cost of buying the vehicle in the first place, it's still cheaper to run on petrol. But this is the thing. as Like the bigger the, the industry gets, the cheaper that's it will exactly get. That's exactly what will happen, and that's what we need to see. And, you know, at the moment, like people make this point about current hydrogen cars that they, they're expensive to fill up, and as well as that, like they're expensive themselves. Like the, the one that Toyota does, the Mirai, it's essentially a, a Camry yes. with a hydrogen fuel cell in it. And because of that, instead of being, you know, in the States, instead of being like, you know, at the most, the Camrys over there are like $30,000, $35,000. It's $50,000. That's and, right. And, and so uh, how, how, how long have you got to drive that thing for before you've saved 20 grand? Yeah. But the point is, is that we're not saving money. We're saving the planet. Like literally like we're... Planet is not going to get saved until we save money. Mm. Human beings are greedy. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, true words have never been spoken last Southwell. That's, that, <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. You know, and that's the thing. It's like uh, this industry is totally gatekeeped by money. That's right. And the whole thing, oil companies owning it, uh, the constriction that there is on the technology, everything is constrained by money. Mm. The dollar just rules supreme. And, you know, this is what the Bible says at the end of time. You read Revelation chapter yeah, 18. Well, it's all mm. about the merchants of the earth, mm. all about the merchants of the earth getting rich and wealthy. And, of course, the Bible says that all of that is going to collapse mm. just before Jesus comes back. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so 0491 The prize is, quick reminder... Uh, the prize is right in front of me, Science to Life by Kendra Valentine, reading and responding to John's Gospels. This is, yeah, just a really, really amazing book about how, you know, who Jesus was, and specifically in John's Gospel, the miracles that he did, the signs that he gave um, to kind of identify himself as the Son of God and how we respond to that. So, yeah, what's happening in current news right now, Lyle? Okay, so I did promise that we would talk about the family this morning and what direction the family is going. So two-parent homes in the United States are up. Are you serious? To a 30-year high. Really? I am. So the national average uh, of two-parent homes is 70.4%. What? Really? Uh, One-parent homes, the national average is 25.5%, um, and neither parent, of course, is 4.1%. Neither parent mm. homes. So this is actually very interesting. So if we do a bit of a comparison, uh, these figures, while it's encouraging to see them heading the opposite direction from what they've been heading for the last 30 years mm. uh, and bucking the trend that everybody said, you know, this was the end of the family, uh, the family was a social construct, the family was something that once um, it was normal not to have a two-parent family, that it would kind of disappear and be replaced with a whole menagerie of different family forms. Well, that it's not actually the case. Mm. 
Uh, all of those other family forms have been normalised and the trend is swinging away from them. Wow. So in 2010, uh, the average was 69.4. In 2000, it was 69.1. In 1990, it was 72.5. And so that was the last year that it was sort of close to 2020. Uh, If you go back to 1960, of course, it was 87.7. So we've, we've dropped a long way since 1960. Now, if you look at those figures as far as uh, high school students, year 12. So mm. we're getting really specific right now. High, sc- high school students, year 12. And so this is, you know, obviously gives families time to, you know, to be together, to have children, and also to break up and have a divorce. The yeah. numbers do change somewhat. Uh, 55.8 it was in 2012. But in 2019... It was up to 59.1. Okay, so marriages are lasting longer as well. Marriages are lasting longer and more children ha- are coming from two-parent homes. Mm. Um, even in African-American families, because this is uh, American statistics and they do like to break it up uh, by race in that country, much lower figures, of course, uh, 24.3 in 2012 up to 29.6 in mm. 2019. And so I really think that the African American churches have a major role to play right here yeah, well. in reversing this particular trend. Okay, so basically, yeah, all experts over the last thirty years have agreed that uh, the nuclear family was on the way out. Um, particularly, this has been promoted by you know critical race theory that this was the natural evolution of society and that we were going to move away from the nuclear family and it was going to be replaced by you know whatever else is out there. <laughs> And what is interesting, as all of the other family forms have been normalised, well, it swung the opposite direction. Mm. Um, In 2019, the United States had the lowest divorce rate since 1970. Wow. Yes, the lowest divorce rate since 1970. And so the divorce rate in 2019... Uh, let me see here, was, and I have missed it, but in 1970, seven, in 1970 it was 15. Oh, yeah, it was 14.9 out of every 1,000 marriages. Mm. Um, and in 1970 it was 15 out of every 1,000. It peaked in 1980 at 22.6 mm. out of every 1,000 marriages. So, yeah, interesting to see what is taking place around the world as far as the family goes, and it's great to see that there is some increased support for the family mm. and you create an environment where people are free then uh, and, and you know, it goes the direction of, well, what the Bible has always said is the best idea. Mm. Now, while we're talking about the family, we covered a story uh, some weeks ago about Bernard Randall, who was a chaplain, uh, in Trent College in the UK. Mm. Now, of course, they had uh, some uh, gender equality experts who came in and did some some classes for the school uh, to try and create you know this whole you know gender ideology kind of atmosphere within the school. One of the things that they had the students do and the staff was you know stand up and chant you know smash heteronormativity. So so, so these are these are these are people who are really really hardcore <laughs> oh, actively man, campaigning so against the family. Mm. And of course he was sharing with the students after that that you do not have to accept these 
teachings, these doctrines. Mm. It's not a requirement. And so as a result of that, he was reported to the terrorism watchdog. Yeah, wow. You know, a pretty pretty full-on uh, kind of things happening here. When you get reported to the terrorism watchdog, seriously, for just teaching standard Anglican, he's an Anglican uh, yeah. chaplain. he's an Anglican chaplain at an Anglican school. Yes, this is right. <laughs> and oh he, and he, he teaches standard Anglican doctrine that has been taught since the Anglican church has existed. Yeah. And well, that's actually now terrorism. Okay, so this was due to be this was due to go to court recently. Yes, uh, the uh, the judge had set aside a twelve day hearing, mm. and had given a court order to the school to produce witness statements because the school was claiming a lot of people had been harmed. Therefore, this is why this guy had been fired. Mm. So this is this is now seven months down the track. Yeah. And uh, they come up to the date of the hearing and the school doesn't have any witness statements to present. Why not? Well, because they have disobeyed the court and haven't done their work. Or because they don't actually have... And they don't have witness... Oh, yikes. Okay, so here's what happened. It was delayed. It has just been delayed for over a year. So it now won't be heard until September 2022. So rather than throwing it out of court... Which you should do, I think. Yeah. You know, if they, you give them seven months, seriously, you can go around and collect a few witness statements in seven months. You literally own the school. Like, okay. This <laughs> is this is this is this is what this is what is happening here. This is a delaying tactic. Yeah. And uh, this is just a way of persecuting when you know you're going to lose a case. Mm. You delay it. You know you're going to lose it. You just delay it. You push it off, and you persecute the individual who has been fired from their position. By you know putting them out of work for another twelve months, mm. it's pretty nasty tactics right that's, here. That's terrible. It is terrible. Uh, responding to the developments, Dr. Randall said, "I'm extremely disappointed that Trent College and its lawyers has failed actively to engage with the legal process, resulting in a very long delay to the case being heard. This case is about the proper limits of free speech and ideological activism in schools, and it would benefit our whole society to have some clarity on these important matters. Mm. I regret that a shadow remains over the school and its leadership, which will be detrimental to pupils and teaching staff. I'm sure everyone would like to move on from this, but the process of healing cannot start until then. Mm. Uh, Andrea Williams, Chief Executive of the Christian Legal Centre, said, It is often said that justice delayed is justice denied. Mm. For over seven months, the Christian Legal Centre lawyers have been ready for this 12-day hearing, but the school and its lawyers has simply refused to comply with the tribunal's orders. Mm. As the judge has said repeatedly, no valid reason has been given for the delay for the failure to properly engage. School has... Past any comment to the media. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Anyway, joining us on the phone this morning is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle, and good morning again to your listeners. Good to be back. So this morning, David, I need a diagnosis. So, so we're going to talk about something that I am occasionally accused of my wife of uh, of, of of having. Is this a radio conversation? Like, <laughs> you sure you guys don't need to do counselling with David? It, it sounds like a personal counselling session. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about hoarding syndrome. Recently, saw a uh, a portion of a reality TV show on this where they were actually, you know, dealing with you know uh, people 
that were suffering from hoarding syndrome. And, yeah, I do tend to collect a few things in the backyard from time to time, um, build up of cars every now and then that has to be cleaned out. What What is hoarding syndrome? Do I have it? And how? what is the solution to this? Lyle, I'll, you, you'll have to send me some photographs of your backyard, your living area and so forth, your study, maybe, you know, the studio. Um, maybe I need to talk to your wife because family <laughs> often helps us to be able to do a proper diagnosis. Um, it's interesting that hoarding syndrome, you have a whole spectrum from where people just uh, think, you know, I should keep that screw, that nut, because I might need it sometime. And all of us that really are battling with, um, you know, that fix things up for ourselves, have a tendency towards trying to keep it, but is that necessarily hoardy? On the other side of the spectrum, you've got people that um, their health, their hygiene, their living space is so cluttered, so full, that it is an actual fact of danger. So somewhere on that spectrum, we would find people that are battling with hoarding. What is very typical, though, of people battling with hoarding is that they have an association with things that they hoard and anxiety starts to develop the moment that the thought comes in that they might have to get rid of it. So for your diagnosis, the question that I'd like to ask you, is there anxiety associated? Is there major discomfort uh, happening when your wife steps in and says, this has been in our backyard long enough, I'm chucking it. <laughs> or is it something that you would just argue, say, you know, I was just thinking that it might need that sometime in the future, uh, but yep, I can see what you're saying and I'm happy to get rid of it. Okay, so I'll say this for myself. Um, I do, on the odd occasion, find great pleasure in finding a use for something that I've had since I was a teenager. And then when yep. I use it, I actually go to my wife and say, hey, you know that little thing that I had? I actually used it. Um, yeah. Having said that, I also find great pleasure in uh, the, well, I don't, I don't enjoy moving, moving house. I don't think anybody enjoys moving house. But I, I do enjoy the experience of that big clean out that you have when, you know, the wheelie bins are full and there's trailer loads of stuff that go to the tip when you move house um, and, and the cleansing that you kind of experience at that particular time. So hoarding is very typical where I'm hoarding stuff that has hardly any value. Uh, newspapers, uh, packets, you know, that you've bought stuff in or packets that contain food. Uh, you've opened up the, the, the top of a tin can and you just don't throw that away. That that top, you actually save it. Uh, it is stuff that normally have no real value, but people make attachment to it. About 2 to 6% of the population are battling with hoarding. And it's very difficult to diagnose because normally hoarders do not recognize that they are hoarders. Um, often parents uh, try to you know, compensate for a child because they have to move to start to collect stuff and hoard stuff because it helps them to deal with the anxiety. And parents think that they're in actual fact helping their children while in reality they're setting them up for failure. 
for you know for, for the future. Lyle, I have uh, been in homes of people. That is where your best diagnosis is made, where a therapist actually can go into the home of someone and just walk through their facility, their home, their backyard, and so forth. And they, from time to time, you'll see it on TV where a council eventually steps in and uh, there is truckloads of rubbish hoarded outside uh, as well as inside. I've walked into a home where there's just a little passageway that you can move in towards one chair or a table which is hoarded up, filled up to the, you know, nearly the ceiling with old newspapers, articles and piece of paper and just scrap all over. That is very typical of major hoarding. Uh, hoarding is also associated with other mental health issues, and that is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, but often hoarding will be diagnosed by an astute uh, doctor or a therapist where an, an individual has come in, not for hoarding, but in reality for depression or anxiety or that, those kind of symptoms. How often does that diagnosis come about as the result of you know a court order or the council stepping in and saying you've got to get rid of this stuff? It only happens at extreme cases uh, because the majority of people that are battling with hoarding isolate themselves. They stop receiving visitors or going out to visitors. The intense shame that is associated with that eventually causes them to withdraw. And it's only when it spills out outside the house or a fire breaks out or uh, a major issue, health issue uh, develops, or when family steps in, only then uh, you will find often that, you know, it will be diagnosed. So it is very, uh, you know, underdiagnosed in our society. So if we've got a family member who is, you know, we, we suspect that they have this hoarding syndrome or it might be very obvious that they have this hoarding syndrome. What are the, what, what is the solution to this? What is the, what is the treatment? How would we, how would we go about dealing with um, providing care for somebody with hoarding syndrome? I think it's vital that family members actually sit down and not further shame the person, but rather talk to them, talk to them about their observation, how that their lives are starting, to, uh, how they observe that their family members' lives are starting to be impacted, how that they start to isolate themselves and go with them to a medical doctor. Um, take some photographs along with the permission of that individual so that the professional really can can treat them. There's two forms of treatment for uh, people with hoarding. Firstly, is talk therapy. The best way of dealing with it is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a psychotherapy that actually looks at the symptoms and works back to the emotional cause behind those symptoms. In other words, looking at the reasons why people are collecting. And while it is interesting to observe that because there's an association, there's a relationship that that person has made with that newspaper, with that uh, tin can that's been opened up. Um, there is some value that they've placed there that is irrational for us, but for them is very rational. So cognitive behavioral therapy is the number one therapy that's provided, but often uh, also your SSRIs, your uh, 
serotonin reuptake inhibitors are also diagnosed. So, oh, sorry, I'll prescribe. So it is similar to a depression treatment that is done for these people as well. Right. So with, um, with the hoarding syndrome, I guess one of the questions that goes through my mind, is this particularly prevalent with people who have come from privation? So if I'm sort of thinking back to, you know, my grandmother who used to collect buttons, for instance, and she would have, you know, a couple of jars of buttons that were stored away, we wouldn't do that kind of thing today. But back in the day when it wasn't so easy to just go out and buy buttons and, of course, she had lived through, you know, the uh, the, 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 first, the Second World War as a, as a young person when there was a whole lot of stuff that just wasn't generally available, is... Is hoarding syndrome, is this something that comes from experiences of privation or is this something different? It is, it is really different. For, for your grandmother and my late grandparents, um, there was some practicality to, uh, to having you know, more than one button available in the home because they just didn't have what, the facilities that we have today. Um, it is more people that has obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies. In other words, that attachment, that connection, that relationship they built, the security that they place in those items. Uh, so it is more a, a kind of security uh, for them, which is part of the disorder and not so much a, a practicality. The people that are hoarding, are hoarding not practical items. They are actually hoarding unpractical items that you and I would look at and say, uh, this is just, you know, this is just scrap. This is rubbish. We need to chuck it. They just do not have the ability because they've got a relationship with it. There's emotional attachment to it. With the very extreme cases where the council steps in and says, okay, everything in this yard needs to go into a skip bin and be taken away, does that action help the person? If it is followed up with therapy, it would help, but in at the moment it would cause major anxiety um, for that person because everything that is dear to them, everything that, they, that, that gives them anchorage in their life is removed. And therefore, often it, it uh, leads to further uh, major depression and, and issues in their life. But if it is followed through with a, a community support uh, therapy that is associated with it, uh, that can help. Uh, but it is, but, but in most cases, you'll see that the cluttering will start again very shortly after that. Except if that person can be helped to, on a regular basis, to declutter. In other words, let's say at the end of each month, we're actually going to come together, uh, my therapist or my family members, and we're going to go through the stuff that has been starting to clutter my table or my desk or my living room, and we're going to go through that and we're going to assess it and ask the question, is this part of my security or is this really about practicality and those that are not part of the practicality we actually discard those um, this is something that needs to be re-educated but with it the the treatment the cognitive behavioral treatment that needs to be in place to help them understand the process now children sometimes start hoarding as well 
And th- this is a, a very small percentage, but um, this is scary where, where kids just can't get rid of, you know, a little card or a little piece of paper, a, a lolly paper that uh, someone has given them that lolly and there's an attachment to that and they save that. Uh, so very sentimental people often stand the great chance of becoming hoarders. Mm. The Bible talks about not being attached to the things of this world. Does a relationship with God and an understanding of Scripture uh, help in this situation? Very much so, because for a hoarder, it is the now which they can control. The Word of God actually point us to the point where we place our confidence, our trust in God, and the future that is awaiting for us. Um, if a flood comes today and my, my house is just washed away, what happens to my life at that moment? For me as a Christian, my life continues. I've got my family, they say, and there's eternity waiting for me, and my investment is made there. The practical things, the buttons and the little nuts and screws that I've got on my property, I've got a five-acre property. I, I need sometimes those and I collect them, but if that is washed away, my identity is not washed away because my identity is in something far more solid and concrete, and that is in the person, Jesus Christ, and the hope that he has to offer me. Mm. David Help, thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk about this important subject. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.